Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Axiom Podcast. Um, We're a community centered around experiencing Jesus together and practicing His ways as a community. Uh, We like to say in Peoria as it is in heaven. Um, So this podcast is just space for discussion and exploring um, ideas and principles of the kingdom and also where we post uh, our sermons from Sunday gatherings. So um, please engage us online and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Then often the way I hear pastors talk about sin or just friends talk about sin or certainly uh, culture talk about sin, if at all. And, and that's where I go, I just, I want to be a Jesus church. So I want to talk about sin the way Jesus talks about sin. And so that's why, part of why we're doing this series, because Jesus talks about it. And, and, and let me just be clear with you. He talks about it, he speaks about it strongly. He speaks about sin strongly. The language he uses around it is significant, gravity, weighty. And this bent is different than what I experience when others talk about sin. And so you're going to capture some of that today. Because when we talk about sin, I don't think we discuss it with the same urgency or significance as Jesus does. Now, culturally speaking, we, we take, it's, it's normative for us to take disordered thoughts and desires and to make them into social norms. That's happening in our world around us. The, the arc of change for our secularized society, it bends towards individualism over communal, right? It bends towards eroticism over love. It bends towards some of these things. Taboos become norms. Uh, example, when, like... When Jesus talks about what happens between a husband and wife when one goes outside of marriage, what word does Jesus use? Adultery. When the world talks about that, do they use the word adultery? Rarely. They say affair. And that's just a slight distinction, but it's this distinction in a normalizing direction. So another example, when, when uh, the scriptures talk about like a person, like think about it like this. If your boss takes money, right, what would the scriptures call that? Stealing? Right? But we talk about it like it's fraud. And, and again, fraud is what it is, but again, there's this movement sort of away from the, the, the urgency, the strength, the weight of the language that Jesus himself uses. And certainly when we talk about our own sin, we like to soften it a little bit. At least in our own eyes, even when we're talking to ourselves. 
And there's a disparity between what actually takes place. And oftentimes we will hurt somebody or someone will hurt us and what they think they've done and what you think they've done or what they think you've done and what you think you've done are two different things. And this is why I say we're a Jesus church because we prioritize and come under the authority of Jesus. So I just, what I mean is the way Jesus talks about sin and defines it and speaks about it is the way I want to define it and speak about it in my life because I want to be a follower of Jesus. And that's how that works. You're going, okay, we get it. <laughs> but, but Jesus goes even further because we tend to go from adultery to affair, but Jesus goes the actual other direction. Let me give you an example. Matthew 5, 27 through 28. You've heard that it is said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman even lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he doesn't just back down or soften. He actually ramps up, points to, digs in. And this is the kind of uh, uh, getting into it, closeness, intimacy of our pain and sin and suffering that Jesus cuddles right up next to. And, and we just kind of do this. And so and as we think about this, I think we need to simply ask ourselves, do we have the same worldview of Jesus? Is this your worldview? Now, this shift is of, of sort of the minimizing of sin on self. Uh, in our world, we see it comes with also an accentuation of the sort of cultural and systemic sins. And, and think about this for a minute. I hear all the time about the sins of the corporate, but I never hear about your sins, what you've done. And so there's this progression away from the personal ownership, responsibility of my sins in the accentuation of the corporate, structural, or systemic sin. That's where our world puts the moral weight. And that is sin. The challenge is it largely excuses the self and makes us unresponsible. It allows us to step sidestep the real issue. And again, I'm not saying that those things aren't problems. They are. And they must be dealt with fiercely. But not at the expense of dealing with what's going on right here in front of you. And, and you can tell because no one's taking responsibility for even the systemic issues, but everyone is upset about them. We are preoccupied with the sins of society, but have lost sight of our own sins. Now, I sympathize. The pressure is on, socially speaking. 
But, but with that pressure, the, the worldview of Jesus has become what I would call a cognitive minority. Few people think that way. And we just have to recognize, well, are we a Jesus church? Is that the worldview we come under? Or are we a, a societal church where we sort of bring the two together and So the Jesus emphasis comes in. And we ask ourselves, does my heart, mind, and actions reflect the life of Christ? Because what Jesus is actually saying when it comes to the corporate sins and to the personal sins is he's not saying that, well, there's the corporate sins over there and then there's your sins here. What Jesus is actually saying is that your personal sin is corporate sin. And I don't hear anyone talking about that. He's saying that when you sin, you are not only harming yourself, you are harming those around you. What you do affects others. And, and you see how that's the opposite from, from the worldview, where we say that what the collective does affects me. Well, Jesus is saying, no, what you do affects the whole. And that's actually good news in a roundabout way. Because as you address the grievances, the things that you yourself have given yourself over to, and you take on the life of, in nature of Christ, that life in nature also affects the whole. So Jesus, in the strongest of terms, tells us, and, 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 and this is sort of how I would say it, be very careful not to cause others to stumble. Be very careful with your life, what you do and say yes to, what you entertain in your heart, because it has an effect on the whole. Luke 17, verses 1 through 3, you can turn there. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause, excuse me, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. Okay, right? Like the challenges of the world, the temptations of the world, the trappings of the world are bound to be around us. Okay, acknowledged. But woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. I don't hear anybody talk about sin like that. I can't tell if I'm just super depressing you all. It's like, I know. We're all going to hell, aren't we? Yeah. 
No. We are going to talk about hell today, though. And hopefully a few of you will give your life to Jesus. I'm just kidding. Jesus, in the strongest of terms, says, hey, what you need to care about first, what you need to prioritize first, is what's happening on, on on the personal level. And what's odd to me is we do that in all these categories of our life, except for like this one. There's, there, there's, there's a, a devotion and a focus that's required here. And the emphasis here for Jesus, and, and this is why I'm, I'm hammering it, it's totally relational. We are accountable to one another. What you do affects us. What I do affects us. And any relationship with God that is absent of our relationship or consideration of our relationship with others is a total misconception. And this is the challenge of sort of my my, my personal relationship with Jesus language, although that is absolutely true. You have a personal relationship with Jesus, but your personal relationship with Jesus is something we share together. And you can't untie that. But we do it all the time. The logic goes like this. Well, my faith is my own, so what's it to you? Get out of my business. It's between me and God. And I would say, no, it's not. No, it's not. Because I love you. And God has placed us into community together. And it's through community that God transforms other communities, other places. If it's all up to you, make it happen, dude. I, it, my sins require your grace and love. I, I need you guys to help me with that. But that means not buying into this other idea and instead buying into the Jesus vision that's here. And, and consequently, consequently, a faith that prioritizes a personal relationship with Jesus will also trivialize sin. We will see it as inconsequential to others because, again, my sin is my personal problem. But it's not inconsequential to others. Hence the hyperbole that Jesus uses, by the way. Do, don't you, it would be better for you to put a mile, or millstone around your neck than, than to cause this other person to stumble. And yet, a personal relationship with God makes up much of what we see in the church today. And, and, and this is what Paul's getting at, by the way, when he says, your God is your belly. Because what we're really talking about is a relationship with God where I still get what I want. Because the light of my brothers and sisters 
The accountability of community is too costly for what I want. And you know how it goes when we don't get what we want? What happens? Thank you. Wham, wham, wham. And if you're like me, you get agitated, irritated. And guess what? It affects how I see other people because they're in my way. They must be out to get me. You see how it works against the relational space, which is really the sacred place that God is wanting to protect. And it sort of self-centers itself. That's when you know you're lost. That's also when you're going to suffer. And those around you are going to suffer also. Dietrich Barnhofer, his words say it this way. In this state of sin, each man is purely demanding. That's what they are. In the state of sin, each man is existing in a location of complete voluntary isolation. Each man lives his own life instead of all living the same God life because each man has become a God unto himself in a hell of their own. That's where it takes you. That's where that worldview takes you. No one chooses to go to hell. They just choose themselves over God. The orientation of self leads us to become the kind of person whom away from God is the only suitable place to get what we want. See the challenge? I might even venture to say that people who are in hell want God. They just don't want God to be God. And people are living there in the church and outside of the church today. This is a relational problem. And the hyperbole that Jesus is using is pointing out the gravity of the effects of sin on community and others because of its relational nature. Hence why isolation and lostness is what the sin creates. It's like saying you might as well have a milestone around your neck and jump in the sea. You might as well. Because that's where that goes. That's where that leads you lost now just for clarity a lost person is someone that mistakes themselves as god and they don't know it they can't recognize who they are you also wouldn't be able to recognize a friend of sinners if you're in that world because you wouldn't think he was a friend
And you can tell because a person in that place thinks they are in charge of their life. And they do and have whatever they wish to do or have. This is, um, in the most acute sense, what we call the slavery of compulsion. Rampant individualism. Mark and Matthew pick up this text, and they go on to say more about it, this issue of compulsion. In Mark 9, 43-47, they pick right where Luke left off. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, go ahead, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Now, I feel like I just need to say this real quick. Uh, hell is for conservatives and liberals, just so you know. And I say this because we have regulated morality to those two parties. We've placed moral objection for America on the Today Show and Fox News. If you watch Fox or if you watch CNN, hell's still a potential for you. You see, the problem with those two moral conformities is they also think their sin doesn't stink. But guys, here's the difference between conservatives and liberals. It's their bumper sticker. It's their script. If you look at their life practices, what they're doing and what they want in life, it's the exact same thing. They're just, they're just pinging a different script. That's, that's the vast majority. The rest is some kind of exhausted middle. I'll name one other difference. Conservatives want the king, but they don't want the kingdom. And liberals want the kingdom, and they don't want the king. And I'm so tired of that. I want Jesus and everything that comes with that. And, and I, I want that to shape our lives. But we got to do some repenting for that to happen. We got to own it. Or we're just going to be lost, which is what the news is, by the way. I don't know if you've noticed. And the talking heads and the experts and the you it's just it's just lostness. All right, sorry. So we might be tempted to think though that Jesus just wants us to address our behaviors with a text like this by uh, cutting body parts off. But here's the deal. Uh, behaviors are and abstinence and things like that are, are, are 
temporary solutions, not eternal ones. So there's a grace in them. They're helpful. If I meet with somebody that's struggling with something, like the starting point's going to be, hey, time out on that action right there. But the solution isn't that. Remember Mark 7, 23 from last week. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. What Jesus is really unpacking in this text is, is if you think avoiding sin is the solution, then you should just go ahead and cut it all off. Right? That's the righteousness of the Pharisees. If you think just observing the law will do it, well then, there you go. Time to get the scissors. The problem is you can jump in the sea, well, not if you cut your legs off, (laughs) and your heart will still be full of evils. And guess what? Confronting what's going on in the heart is harder than cutting body parts. But that's what Jesus calls us to do, is to get transformed from the inside out, to take back control of the center of our life. The organizing center of our life is handed to the only person that is capable of managing it, His name is Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, knows exactly what to do with the thing you don't have a clue of what to do with. But you're going to have to humble yourselves, which is the other note in this text that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all pick up. Remember the little ones? We don't want to cause a stumble. They're teaching us something here. And this is why at the end of the text, could we go back to Luke 17? Right at the end there. So he ends it, so, so watch yourselves. See your sin. Because when you see it, When you see what you're doing and what you've done, when you really see it for what it is, you're not going to want to do it anymore. You'll have no ground to stand on but to to just totally humble yourself. And and from that vantage point, you're going to see the little one as an equal one. They're not little anymore. They're Part of that sacred middle, the relational space that Jesus is advocating for. And when we see, when we see our sin, we, we are changed by God. He's the friend of sinners. We, we take on a teachable spirit. We, we begin to find other people interesting. We don't sit in conversations and talk about ourselves all the time. We care less about 
talking about self and more about making room for others and for God, right? God, the one who opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, that's the space where God gets in and does his transformative work. So if we care for our brothers and sisters with such humility and regard, would we not in that process find ourselves being purified by the person and presence of God? Our own struggles get addressed as we consider others greater than ourselves. You want to deal with your personal sins? God's going to use others to help you do that. He, he's going to help you work on that thing. But it's going to mean that you need to value those around you as God values them. I'm out of time. Um, the gospel, the good news, it, it, well, it's for sinners. <laughs> Who else is it for? So if we live in a world where we're not in sin, the gospel's not for you. But we know that we need something. And Jesus has come to give us that in all authority and power. He's magnificent at this one. No others come even close. And he's also magnificent with dealing with the guilt and shame. So, friends, let's humble ourselves together. Please, please. There's no pride. This isn't about anything, you know. Like, golly. It's the communion tables. Like, like Jesus gives us the practice where we realize we're all sitting at the same level. We've all been invited by the same master. We're all equally loved. And if we can see our lives through the communion table, we'll see that others are required and that Jesus is at the center. And that's why we don't take it alone. If you need to, that's, that's cool. Please take it alone. But, but I encourage you, just if you see a couple people huddling up, feel free to just kind of awkwardly squeeze in. You know, because this is, the, this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is to be made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, because it's the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Jesus is so eager to spend a moment with you because he wants to spend eternity with you. Sometimes humility requires more than getting up and grabbing bread and juice. Sometimes we got to kneel down for a minute. Sometimes we got to confess some sins. Sometimes we got to go seek prayer. Whatever it would require, enter the Go to the table humbly today. Let's do that now together.